And let's turn to 1 John chapter 2, 18 through 27. We're going to just start the sermon out by reading the, the scriptures that we're going to cover. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. It says this, Children, it is the last hour, and as, you've, as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be compl- uh, become plain that, that all they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Verse 25. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Verse 27. Um, But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Uh, But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. We live in the last hour. We live in a time where people commonly deny, it's commonplace, they commonly deny the truthfulness of biblical Christianity. A time where people are easily deceived. A time where people have no theological depth, no experience of the Holy Spirit. We, we live in a time where people are sitting ducks for the deceiver and the Antichrist. I'll give you two reasons why people are so easily deceived in our day. Number one, people are so easily deceived because they're not grounded in the Word of God. And number two, people are so easily deceived because they do not live their life in the Holy Spirit. This text was written for us. The Apostle John is striving for two things. He urges us to be grounded in the Word of God and to have complete dependence on the Spirit of God. He's pushing the younger generations. He's he's urging them. He's, He's encouraging them in this direction because the Word of God and the Spirit of God are the only hope for stability in a world that's filled with confusion. Of all the things that could be said about this text, I want us to to focus on three points this morning. Number one, I want us to focus on the fact that we are in the last hour. Number two, the spirit and the truth of God's word protect us from deception. And then number three, we need to let the word of God abide in our hearts and we need to abide in the spirit. So let's talk about the first point this morning. We are in the last hour. Honestly, church, I had a tough time 
with this section of Scripture because it's not necessarily because I struggle with the truthfulness of this section of Scripture, but honestly, I struggle with the abuse Christians have brought to this section of Scripture. Far too many Christians live in fear of the last hour, right? You've seen the guy at the football stadium with the big sign that said, Turn or burn, right? Or Armageddon's coming. You better get ready or something like that. Far too many Christians live in fear of the last hour. They live in fear of the last days. They live in fear of the Antichrist. They're in fear. They're looking for the Antichrist under every rock. Every friendship, every relationship, every president might be the Antichrist. They're looking for the Antichrist. And John is not speaking these things to us to cause fear. Okay, fear is from the enemy. Satan is the author of fear. He's the one that wrote the book on fear. John is not writing these things to get us all in a craze or to get us all worked up. He's speaking these these things to us to make us aware, to give us knowledge, to help us not to be deceived so that we can walk this life with confidence, with assurance of our faith in Jesus Christ. We are not to live in fear. We are to live with confidence. And that confidence comes, that confidence comes, church, by knowing the Word of God and by following or abiding in the Holy Spirit. So verse 18 begins by saying, Children... It is the last hour. Okay, this letter was written 2,000 years ago, but the message of this letter, the message of the New Testament, is when Christ came, we entered the last hour. We entered the last days. And nobody but God knows how long they're going to last. Nobody but God. 1 Peter 1.20 says, Christ was destined before the foundation of the world but was made manifest at the end of the times for your sake. He came and that started the last hour. The identifying mark of the last hour or the last days is the fact that the Son of God has come. That's Jesus Christ. He has already come. That started the last hour, the last days. And another identifying mark is that the Holy Spirit is being poured out more abundantly. But John points out another identifying mark of the last hour. He says, You have heard that the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. The last hour is a time in which the spirit of Antichrist will be more and more active in our midst. He refers back to the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, uh, verses 5 and verse 24. He says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. In verse 24, in that same chapter of Matthew, uh, Matthew 24, he says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. John saw evidence of the last hour, not only in the spread of the gospel, in the power of the Holy Spirit, but also 
in the ever-growing numbers of false Christs or false teachers. He, he saw evidence of the last hour, the last days, in the ever-growing, ever-abundant deceivers in the world. And that's why I can say, church, we live in the last hour. John's view of the last days seemed to be that there is one Antichrist that is going to come, but that the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world causing confusion and causing chaos. The core or the goal of the Antichrist spirit is to deny that Jesus was truly God or to deny that God was fully displayed in Jesus Christ. The spirit of Antichrist does whatever it can to decrease or to diminish Jesus Christ, to lessen Him, to make Him uh, unimportant. The spirit of Antichrist substitutes other views or philosophies or even other people for the true Son of God. John is urging the church. And let me just remind you, you are the church. It's not a building. You are the church. And he's urging you to be alert. He's urging you to be on guard uh, be on guard for what he calls the liar. Or to be on guard for what he calls deceivers. He says many of these liars, many of these deceivers have gone out into the world. Church, we live in the last hour. So let me ask you, how do we protect ourselves from these liars? How do we protect ourselves from these deceivers with all the false teachers, with all the confusion, with all the many religions? How do we know what the heck is true and what is not? Probably the most important thing to focus on in this passage is how the Spirit of God and how the Word of God, they work together. They work together to protect us from deception. Knowing the truth is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Verses 20 and 21, it says, You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge, or you know all things. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and you know that no lie is of the truth. Verse 20, you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you know. Or verse 27, the anointing which you received from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. The the anointing of the Holy Spirit enables us to know the truth. That's how we can know the truth, is because of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This anointing refers to the coming of the Holy Spirit into your life. When you take that step of faith and you uh, repent of your sin and you turn to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. This anointing refers to the coming of the Holy Spirit into our lives. Acts 10.38 says, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And 1 John 4.13 says, God has given us His Spirit. So, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit into our hearts is when we take that step of faith. The Holy Spirit is poured into our hearts and because of His Spirit, we can know the truth. 
So the anointing referred to in verses 20 and 27 is probably the pouring of the Holy Spirit into our hearts when we were born again. When we began to follow Jesus Christ. So with this understanding, church, verse 20 could be rephrased like this. You have the Holy Spirit from God in you, so you know the truth. And verse 27 would read like this. The Holy Spirit which you receive from God abides in you, and so you have no need that anyone should teach you. That is, you don't need false prophets who claim to add new information about Christ beyond the truth you heard from the beginning. Man, it's clear. It's clear from these two verses that without the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't know the truth. Knowing the truth about Christ is a gift from the Holy Spirit. But that raises a question, church. How does the Holy Spirit empower us? How does the Holy Spirit lead us to know the truth about Jesus Christ? And how does that knowledge keep us or protect us from being deceived? False teachers are everywhere claiming to have seen revelations from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit told me to do this. The Holy Spirit told me to do that. How many times have you heard, God led me to do this. God led me to do that. How do we know? How do we know what to believe? John warns us in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, do, do not believe every spirit. But he encourages us to test the spirits to see whether they are of God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Church, it's what virtually every sect or every cult or every false teacher does. They claim to have some special revelation beyond the original revelation. Okay? We have some special revelation beyond the original revelation. Or they claim to have inspired prophets of their own who will give you hidden information. Uh, You probably haven't been taught this. You probably don't know this. But our prophet has given us some hidden truths. Maybe they say we have a special interpretation of the Bible. So, So what does John mean? How does the anointing of the Spirit empower us to know the truth? And how does this anointing protect us from deception? Verse 24 is key. It's critical. Okay? This truth, which is the Holy Spirit, empowers us to know this truth. And this truth that that empowers us or protects us, it comes through the preaching of the apostles. It comes through the teaching of the apostles. Verse 24 says... Let let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. John makes the point two different times. The truth that should remain in you is the truth that brought you to Christ in the first place. What you heard from the beginning, what you heard from the beginning. What he's saying, church, 
is it's Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus plus nothing. Don't add anything to Jesus Christ. Jesus plus nothing. The Spirit of God is not going to give us teaching that contradicts the teaching of the apostles. That's how the Spirit and the Word of God work together. John is telling them it's Jesus plus nothing. You don't need to add to Jesus. John was trying to lead them and he was trying to say, hey, don't go chasing after every new thought, every new opinion, every new religion that starts up. Man, believe what you heard from the beginning. Remember verse 7 in the same chapter, John said, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment which you had heard, or which you had, excuse me, from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. We don't need, church, we don't need new revelation. What we need is to let the original teaching from the apostles about Jesus Christ abide in us. That's what we need. We don't need anything new. We have what we need in the Word of God. And John gets even more blunt in his second letter. He says in 2 John verse 9, this is tough. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God. Can you, can you not get any more blunt than that? But anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. So the Word of God and the Spirit, they work together. They're one. Can you hear me all right? Okay. The opposite of abiding in what you've heard from the beginning is to wander off into new revelations or secret knowledge offered by people like... Let me give you some real practical examples. It's offered by people like Muhammad or people like Joseph Smith, Jim Jones. He had some new teachings. He had some new revelations. It's people like Buddha or maybe even your drinking buddy. He has some good ideas. And some new revelations. When you don't abide in God's word, you're vulnerable to anyone's crazy idea. Satan has twisted the words of God since the very beginning of time. He did the same thing with Eve, if you remember, in the Garden of Eden. Listen to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. One day, he, Satan, asked the woman... Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Verse 2, Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse 4, This is what Satan has done from the beginning. You won't die. Don't listen to God. You won't die, the serpent or Satan replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good 
and evil. If you have this new thing, this new revelation, you will be like God. You'll be better than God. You'll know more. He's been deceiving from the beginning. We know the rest of that story. Eve didn't abide in God's word. She stopped believing what God said. She listened to the lie of the serpent. And the rest is history. Man, we test all the spirits, all the crazy teaching that exists out there through the word of God. The biggest question you'll face in life is this. What will be your authority? Will it be God's word? Or will it be the world? Will it be what God says is true? Or what the next politician promises? Are you kidding me? The Bible tells you how to be saved. It it says your life is not an accident. The Bible tells you how to be forgiven. It tells you how God can use you for good in this world. There's nothing like the Word of God. Nothing. Nothing can change lives. Nothing can change the heart of men and women like the Bible can. Laws can't change human hearts. If I believed that laws could change human hearts, I would have been a politician. Okay? I have zero faith in politics to actually change the greatest problems on the planet. They can't do it. Only the Word of God can. The Holy Spirit is not going to take us beyond the teaching of the apostles. If there's a teaching that contradicts the teaching of the apostles, it's false teaching. The Holy Spirit helps us to abide in that teaching. The Holy Spirit helps us to grow in our understanding of that teaching. The Holy Spirit strengthens our power to practice that teaching. The Holy Spirit increases our confidence in the truth of that teaching. But the Holy Spirit does not change the teaching. It doesn't take away from the teaching. It doesn't contradict the Apostles' teaching. The Word of God and the Spirit of God, they work together to protect us from being deceived. And this leads us to the concluding main point. God's Word and God's Spirit will protect us. But we play a part in this as well. We must let the Word abide in our hearts. And we have to abide in the Spirit. Okay? And doesn't that sound a little bit churchy to you? It does to me. I have to be honest. I, as I was writing this, I had to ask myself, this is what it says in my notes, so what the heck does it mean to abide? What does that mean? Abide means to accept. Okay? We have to accept the Word. We have to accept the Holy Spirit. Abide means to observe, to follow, to hold on to, to conform to, to stick to, or to act in accordance with. And finally, the word abide means to respect. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Okay? Abide in the Word of God. Accept it. Follow it. Hold on to it. Conform to it. Stick to it. However that looks in your mind. Act 
in accordance to it, respect it. Paul goes on to say in Colossians 3.16, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. And then he concludes by saying, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankfulness in your hearts. The reason he says that is because the Word of God brings joy. When you follow it, when you abide by it, when you stick to it, it will bring joy. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. It says this, Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So once again, abide in the Spirit means to accept the Spirit of God, to hold on to the Spirit, to conform to the Spirit, to stick to the Spirit, to act in accordance to the Spirit, to respect the Spirit of God. In verse 19 it says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. I'm ending this way because church, when you allow God's word to abide in your heart and when you abide in the spirit of God, it brings joy. And when you have joy, you can't help but sing. You can't help but praise. You can't help but make a joyful noise. You can't help it. Okay, that's what I love to see, man. When we went and I stopped playing my mess back there and and the musicians stopped playing their greatness and you guys were playing or singing out, it was just the voices. It's like, man, we are singing loudly in the midst of all our hardships and battling this and battling that and struggling with this and struggling with that. We can still sing and we can still be joyful because the Word of God is abiding in our hearts and we are abiding in the Spirit of God. It leads us to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. And you make music to the Lord in your hearts. I'm going to ask Keith and the musicians to come up. And, and I've asked Keith to close the sermon out this morning with a, with a joyous song. Because once again, when His Word abides in your heart and when you abide in His Spirit, you can't help but sing. I know some are probably saying, you know, I I don't like to sing. I'm not going to sing. Just read those verses while we're singing and just, uh, yeah, let them convict you. All right? Let's stand and sing this morning.